Hiya, welcome to Behind the Bops. I'm Sean Kitchener. Today I'm speaking to an artist who has wrapped up 42 million Spotify streams, 62 million YouTube views, six ARIA awards and a Brit nomination. Gabriella Chilmi was just 16 when she shot to fame in 2008 with the enormous hit Sweet About Me, which PRS found was the most played song in the UK in 2009. Her Xenomania produced debut album Lessons To Be Learned was stuffed with great songs and spent a total of 43 weeks on the UK chart. At the turn of the decade, she returned with the more disco-influenced follow-up 10, which included the incredible lead single On A Mission, and she worked with the likes of The Invisible Men, Greg Kirsten and Ellie Goulding. She also had a slot on the Pyramid stage at Glastonbury. Then, after making a clean break from her management and record label, she put out her third album, The Sting, totally independently in 2013. She stepped back from the spotlight for the next two years, however, last year she came back with a really brilliant new EP called The Water. We spoke all about her story so far. The great oracle that is Wikipedia said you were sort of discovered, as it were, in, in, in a street festival in Melbourne when you were like 13. Is that right? Is that how you first sort of came yeah. to people's attention? Well, p- pretty much. I mean, I was kind of, um, you know, when you're a kid um, and you're, your family are like, you know what, get up and sing, sing, sing a few numbers for us. Yeah. And although I was like really shy, they would somehow convince me to to do it and I'd go up the stage and perform at festivals and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, I guess, um, I think I I recorded like a a little demo for fun and somebody ended up hearing it and then I ended up getting signed. I think think the first time I remember seeing you was on... um... Jules Holland, maybe, which would have been, I guess, yeah. a few years later. So, was there quite a big sort of? Was there a few? Cause, uh, obviously, you must have been very, very young when you first sort of started out. But was there a few years then of like behind the scenes sort of development and all that kind of? Yeah. Stuff? So when I I got signed, basically, I got signed in Australia first. Yeah. Um, when I was thirteen, and then they kind of onsold me, as you do, to um, Island Records in the UK. Oh, yeah. And then from there, I was kind of writing my um, my first album, Lessons to Be Learned, on the school holidays. Oh wow! So um, you know, for two weeks at a time, I'd go to I'd fly to London, and um, I recorded with um, uh, Brian Higgins and Miranda Cooper, who had their um, production company yeah. called Xenomania. Yeah at the time um so i'd go up and i'd write and record on my school holidays and then go back home and just pretend i was going uh for a trip to queensland or something um and then and then yeah the jules holland performance was kind of the first um introduction to the yeah yeah for my music but yeah that's so (laughs) So, like, when you were at school, you just you just go back at the start of the term, like, what, what were you up to over the holidays? Like, no, oh, nothing, just a little trip, nothing. <laughs> like, yeah, I, was just, I just went to Queensland. I didn't want to tell anyone because I always had, you know, my dad is a bit of a pessimist, maybe. Right, <laughs> so okay, was, yeah, yeah. He was always like, you know, you just, you don't know, you never know, this might not all go to plan, you know, just make sure you still focus at school. And yeah. I was always too, too nervous to tell anyone what was happening just in case it didn't work out. And it, well, yeah, not only did it work out, but that first, that was sweet about me, was obviously absolutely huge. I remember it was, it, it felt like it, it was quite a gradual build for that song, wasn't it? Because I remember you being on Jules Holland, at, that must have been the end of like, a not Christmas, but like that kind of end of year time. Then it was another sort of six months or so before it was at its peak in the UK chart. And I know it was huge in Australia and huge around Europe. Yeah, yeah. it took a while to catch on like um, yeah, yeah. I think it was released twice and oh, then right. the second time it kind of it, yeah it took off and I think it was on an advert for 
a Rexona or something. Excellent. And it's funny, these little tipping points that that just seem to um, bring your music to the world. You just never think it's going to be like through a deodorant ad or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, well, take but it. That was kind of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was kind of like a, a godsend in a way. And that that's kind of what, um, yeah, what brought the Sweet About Me to the attention of people. And then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did it feel like, I know now, obviously, it's not that uncommon for a song to take a little while to, to get going, but mm. for you at the time, did it feel like a whirlwind or did it feel like, come on, <laughs> up you go, up the charts? <laughs> I mean, yeah, basically, it was kind of like that. That song was always really special to me. And I remember, yeah. you know, first playing it to a few people, including a few people at the label who were like, oh, I don't know, you know, I don't... Some people didn't get it all. They thought maybe this would just be a little, you know, a start, a little taster. And, mm. But I really always really believed in it. You know, me and Brian Higgins, we always thought there was something special about that track yeah, yeah. in particular. And, um, yeah, it just, it, I, I just always had that faith that it would kind of, you know, it would do something. And it, yeah, yeah. it, it did. It did. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Amazing. Yeah. Um, you touched on... Um, a few minutes ago about obviously teaming up with Brian and the Xenomania team who mm-hmm. at the time well they still are I guess really well known for sort of the, the dance poppy Girls Aloud Sugar Babes Kylie stuff what was that creative partnership like because I know you came, you came from quite different places I guess influence wise but was it quite a natural yeah. sort of pairing well yeah it, I mean it took a while I think to find that kind of middle ground of things but what we really both liked and um you know, what we had in common was, uh, you know, like Phil Spector records, yeah. early Ike and Tina Turner records, and that kind of wall of sound that Phil Spector was famous for. And we would kind of, um, yeah, that was kind of our, our, our middle ground, and we were both really inspired by that. Yeah. So, yeah, we kind of um, jammed around ideas that we were both um, interested in. And, yeah, at first it took a little while because I was, like, used to jamming with my mates in the garage playing, yeah. like, Led Zeppelin covers. Um <laughs> And stuff, stuff like that. Uh, Janis Joplin covers, even Jet and Kings of Leon yeah. kind of vibes. Um, and at the time, um, Sugar Babes and Girls Aloud in Australia weren't like much of a big deal, so yeah, I wasn't yeah. really raised. Of course, I knew like a few of, a few of the songs, mm. but I wasn't really. I didn't really grow up with this, so I didn't really really know. And I, I at the time, obviously, I love girl band like i love obviously supremes and where, where the yeah, inspiration yeah, yeah. comes from for a lot of those songs even the girls allowed songs actually they're such well-written songs mm. and they're they're exciting and they they take i think they took pop to a different level where i'm not i'm not sure if it's kind of there at the moment i don't know oh, yeah, but absolutely. um but yeah at the time i was like really against girl bands like i did not want to be in a girl band. i was a 13 year old you know, I, I I kind of just wanted to be in a band, right, sure, so it yeah. did it did take a while for us to find <laughs> that kind of like that middle ground. Um, but oh, yeah. amazing that whole um, album I absolutely adored I did um, three months in I was like how old would I have been 18, 19 like a summer in America and it was the summer that album came out and I remember I lent on that album so much it was like a crutch it was like got um, <laughs> got a place to go you want to go to bed now awkward game there's so much good stuff on there oh my gosh you know the whole thing. oh my god yeah oh massively but looking <laughs> looking back on the album now um, you were so young at the time I uh, how has your relationship with that music changed over time if that makes sense do you are you still proud of it is it does it still are you do you still look back on it and you're like yeah that was that was good <laughs> i mean it still it still resonates with me i think um 
you know, I was really grateful to, um, you know, Brian to give me that experience of really being involved in the writing and the sound of the mm. record. And he actually really did, he listened to me and took on board, you know, how I could make uh, make it my own. And, um, and I, of course, I was, you know, I was pretty young young at the time. I learned a lot off, off the way they... Um, you know how a melody could really, you know, influence a, a song, and how how important melody was, and, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's still obviously, you know, when we play them live now, it's it's a bit funny. There's a few lyrics in, I think. Oh, terrifying or one of the tracks and I'm talking about baking bread and I think I just had to write <laughs> lyrics really quickly or, or I thought they were quirky like blondie lyrics or yeah, something yeah. at the time. I don't know. And I listened back and I'm like, mm, maybe that could have been... Um, <laughs> been but sometimes I think, you know when you're having... It's not like beginner's luck but it's like your first go at something and you, you come to the table with all these enthusiasm yeah, and yeah. you're not afraid to try different things. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's nice. Uh, like I, I was watching Harry Bikers the other night, and Awkward Game came on the oh, really? oh, yeah. place to go, and all these tracks. I was like, oh, there's uh, a fan in the that, production like, office of that that team. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to. Um, you mentioned the quirky lyrics. I was just. I wanted to just give a quick mention to the caterpillar in your soul and got no place to go. That was oh. my favorite. That was my favorite one. Um, I think that's my favorite one of the whole of the whole record yeah. as well. <laughs> it, sound, it sounds it sounds strange, and you think about it, and you're like, there is a caterpillar in my soul. It's it's true. It makes sense, right? <laughs> um, got to quickly touch on um, Warm This Winter as well, the big co-op Christmas <laughs> advert banger, massive tune. Um, what, what, how did that come about? Was that a, a label idea for like the re- the album re-release or was that something that you were like, I quite fancy doing this actually? Like, How did that come about? Well, actually, my management came to me with, um, you know, there's this opportunity to record this Connie, Connie Francis song. They yeah. want to use it for um, the co-op ad. And I thought, oh... Again, in Australia, we don't really grow up with, but we have Christmas music. But it's like it's we, it's not the same vibe here. Here, where like Christmas music makes sense. It's right, cold. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of frosty. And you want to get warm and sit by a fireplace. In Australia, we like have barbecues and it's hot. Right, and we, sure, sure. That's when we get our suntans. And for me, I was like, really a Christmas song. Like, but um, <laughs> it's quite a cool a Christmas song. The original version's really cool as well. But I don't know. We just kind of recorded. I we didn't even. I didn't really think that anything would really come of it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden. <laughs> Years years go by and it's kind of stood the test of time. Yeah, yeah, and it, it comes keeps back on every like, year. It comes back every year. It's so fu- it's so funny, but yeah, yeah. um, um, yeah, I'm really grateful that it kind of still gets played. That's pretty cool. Oh well, yeah, no, it's it's, it's, it's brilliant. Your first experience of headline touring was that for that album. I remember seeing a gig in Norwich. We, we, I know you'd supported artists before that, but what was it like getting out there on your like as the headliner for the first time with your own songs? You know, just because you're still quite young at the time, I guess, and you're just going around the world, around the country. <laughs> How was that experience? I was really nervous because mm. obviously I'd never really, you know, I'd supported uh, different acts before, but when you have to kind of get on stage and do, do your own thing, it's like you still kind of fumble your way through it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm still fumbling their way, my <laughs> way through it kind of thing. Um, but it, it was just really cool. Um, I remember the first time I played a festival, which was Team the Park in Scotland, and I remember peeking through 
um, like backstage area to look outside and to see if anyone was in the tent where I was going to play. And I mm. thought nobody, uh, it was literally empty and I was about to go on stage in like five minutes. So I went back to the, the dressing room, got ready and I thought, oh, you know, it might just be a little thing. And then I get on stage and the tent was full. Oh, and I remember that was the first time that was, I thought, oh, wow, this is pretty, yeah, yeah. pretty amazing. And having a crowd um, sing, you know, words that you'd written or, um, that's I think that's one of the best parts about you know being a musician. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh gosh, am I am I right thinking it's gonna be really awkward if I'm wrong? You done the you did Glastonbury at one point as well, didn't you? Is that, is that yes? Oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. Actually, yeah. So the first time I played Glastonbury was at like a mobile phone char- recharge tent, yeah. which was there was like no one there. And then the next time I did it was in 2010. Yeah. And it's kind of engraved in my memory because um, we were driving to Glastonbury and that's when everyone found out that Michael Jackson had just passed away. Oh, wow. So it was like just etched in my in my memory. It was on the Friday. Yeah. Um, and I got to play the main stage, which was quite cool. Wow, yeah. Um, I've had I've had a few really cool moments at Glastonbury. I think like seeing Leonard Cohen and... Yeah, yeah. It's just a cool. It's obviously when you're a kid, that's the big festival. Yeah, that's yeah. the one that you kind of want to play. Mm. Um, oh wow! But, yeah, amazing. Well, yeah, zipping forward to that kind of era. The the um, was it 2010 when the second album came out? That was is quite different, yeah. but I still absolutely love that. There's so much great stuff in that. Um, yeah. You've spoken before about how uncomfortable some of the promotion was around that album, but in terms of creatively putting it together, what was that process like? Because you worked with a lot of different people that time around. Is that is that right? Yeah, it was it was different. I mean, um, yeah, when I set, set out to write the record, I wasn't really sure what kind of um, road I was going to take for it. And yeah. there's a lot of pressure when you come out with the second record. People, they're so, I think, scared of losing the momentum and everybody just gets involved. And it's just like, it was a really intense experience for me. And I just turned 18 and it was that kind of weird transition mm. stage in my life where I, you know, was a bit... Um, I felt really overwhelmed and right. I think my mental health suffered from, from it. But in terms of like the record, um, there are some like really great songs. I think they're some of my best songs that like love me cause you want to, oh, God, I yeah, think I that's, me. that's like one of my favorite records I've ever um, been part of. And that was produced by invisible men. Yeah. I think uh, do a lot of pop stuff at the moment, but um, there's a guy there called John Shave who is really lovely to work with and a really talented writer who also worked at um, Xenomania and kind of, um, you know, uh, used to write um, there. So I knew him from, from back then. Yeah. Um, so it was nice to continue that kind of relationship there. And, oh, um, and, and yeah, there were some things, like, in hindsight that I maybe would have done differently, but it's just really nice to see that even though I think... It was difficult for me at that time. A lot of those songs really empowered other uh, other people, yeah, and yeah. Uh, especially like on a mission, you, you you it's kind of one of these songs. Like yeah, a lot a lot of people use that as their kind of warm up, kind of pump up song at the gym. Yeah, or yeah. They're about to do something, and they need that kind of that confidence and and stuff. So, yeah. but yeah, it was it was a fun record to make, and obviously I'm a fan of all different types of music mm. and. Um, you know, Georgia Moretta, all the Donna Summer stuff. Like, it was really, uh, you know, a big inspiration for that record. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, 
but yeah yeah nice i was, was going to say on a mission it came on the car the other week on shuffle i was driving it was a long drive with my fiance <laughs> i still knew the words to like you know the there's amazing like chanty middle eight bridge bit i did the whole thing and he was like what is going on right now <laughs> I was like, do not question it it is a gay national anthem you cannot question you cannot question it is. oh um, my god it I was still just, just um... it still just holds up so well i think that song yeah. and something yeah I think there's a petition to try and get it on RuPaul's Drag Race. I don't oh know my why God, it hasn't been yes. on yet. But, like, that would be – that would actually make my life. Yeah. That would be amazing. But I don't I don't know. I think there, there was a few tweets going around. So maybe one day. Maybe yeah, one yeah. day. God, but, definitely. Yeah. Um, th- that album did – it got some really good reviews. I remember seeing on – Probably, well, I say I remember, it was like an hour ago. I saw that Pop Justice named it one of their five best albums of that year. As I said, the gays still love it. But from a sales perspective, were you under huge pressure to match what came, what what happened with the first album, or were you able to just sort of zone that out and let the business people worry about the business? <laughs> it's. I think it all bleeds into one another. I right. think because I got into the business really young, I think I was unaware that essentially not essentially, but to some people, you're, you, it's kind of like a product. Your music is a product. You are a product. Yeah. And you lose a bit of that that connection. Yeah, I felt like I'd lost a bit of connection with the people that I was working with, that I was a, a, you know, a, a musician, an artist. I wanted to express myself in certain ways, and I wanted to be able to decide what my album cover looked like. I yeah. wanted to be able to decide what, how, what clothes I wear and how I would have, you know, maybe I would have interpreted things a little bit um, differently sure. uh, at the time. And I think, um, you know, in, in that respect, there, there was that kind of lingering um, pressure where I think, you know, well, I, I wouldn't change anything, but sometimes yeah. you would you would go back and you would maybe redesign, rejig a few things around mm. and, you know, maybe I always dreamed of doing like an Anthony and Cleopatra video for um, love because you want to oh, or yeah. something oh, like that. Sure. All, this, yeah. all this stuff that I would um, love to have done creatively, where I maybe didn't get the chance to do some certain things. I mean, that was pretty, that's not, you know, that's a big production, but that's probably why. Um, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I guess, um, yeah, I, I guess the way I would have interpreted would have been a bit different, but sure. it kind of got me to the place where I'm now, where I'm more aware of things and, just know how to take care of myself a bit more. Right, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, I won't dwell on the the, the hardships too much, but how was that transition period between... um, So you did the second album, then The Sting came out, which is on on your own terms, it was on your own territory. How was that transition period? I remember I interviewed you a few years ago, actually, and you spoke about um, when you you, you did sort of like a trek to Peru or something, and you were like, yes, I can do it, I can do it. Um, How was that transition period where you were like... Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I remember that that trip to Peru was kind of signaling the end of the end of my kind of uh, relationship with the label, yeah. the end with the management. Everything kind of fell apart, and you're left feeling a little bit. You know, they were like my family in the UK. I yeah, didn't yeah. have many other people around me because you know I started when I was a teenager, and they're the people you consider, you know, your, your family. So it was, uh, you know, I was a little bit heartbroken. I think mm. in a quite um raw and i think that really um took shape in the in the the sting kind of the the whole the whole concept of it you know it was it it was me just kind of i guess i mean with all kind of 
when you're writing music, you kind of let it all out. But there was something in particular about that record that was very, um, yeah, a lot more confessional than probably what I'd done before. Yeah, yeah. And a lot more... Um, yeah, in that respect, and um, it, it's, I mean, it's quite difficult doing things independently as kind of, it was at that stage just before Spotify started to right. break out, just yeah. before, um, uh, I think a lot, you know, a lot of artists are, um, do things independently now or with smaller indie labels, and Definitely. it's, it's a, um, this transition period was, there were, like, some difficult um Partly, you know, areas to navigate, but uh, creatively, it was um, something I really enjoyed and I think really needed to do. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Well, there's some great stuff from that era, like the, the video shoots and all that kind of stuff. So, was that was that all on you then at that point? Like the video shoots, the the artwork decisions, was that like? That kind yeah, of pretty much, you, pretty much. I just you know started cutting my hair and then it got shorter and shorter and yeah. shorter. Um, and I guess I got in touch with a lot of my, you know, my heritage, um, Italian heritage and the neorealism aspects of um, photography and cinema. So that really inspired, I think, the, the kind of artistic direction and the music. I think it all bleeds into one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and also a lot of, um, I was listening to a lot of, like, Massive Attack and Tricky at the time. Yeah. Uh, and I worked with um, Elliot James, who's this really great producer who did it he did such a great job um on the production side of things mm. um you know who i've um continued to work with since then so yeah it's it's, it's been cool yeah it was yeah. a cool um it's been cool <laughs> that's a weird thing to say yeah, well, but yeah i met some great people and continued those relationships excellent no no it's good there's um i was listening to i haven't done interviews in a while you can no, tell no, them, that's like, fine. Yeah. no no that's fine i was listening to um Symmetry, was it symmetry? I think it was symmetry earlier, and yeah, it's so much yeah. Album just still. It sounds like it hasn't aged. I can't believe it's been um, doing some maths on my fingers. Seven years. It just it's it's it still it still sounds very very fresh. Um, yeah, it feels like it hasn't been that long. No, no. It does feel like that. Well, which is why I was surprised when because obviously the, the the water EP came out last year. I couldn't believe it had been so long in between stuff. So what what was happening in those years in between? Am I right in thinking? Did you do some music with your brother? Were you in a little bit of a band with your brother? Like what was happening? Yeah. Yeah, so we kind of just took time to kind of, I don't know, have a little fun. And, um, yeah, we did this uh, band together called um, All Kings and Queens. And there's, like, I don't know if there's something on Spotify. I'm not sure, but we, we were kind of just... Um, it was fun because I got to feel like I was in a band for a little while and I kind of always wanted to do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we did, yeah, we did a few, few tracks um, online. And then from there... I, kind of just started to I don't know return to music from my roots I kind of grew up on um I started to listen to all the, those Janis Joplin records yeah again, yeah and uh, I continue Turner stuff and then um kind of segued into um the band and they were the band they were actually Bob Dylan's band they called the band and yeah um Mavis Staples and all these kind of references and then kind of yeah, just started, um, you know, I think writing from that perspective again and, yeah, the water's kind of got this country soul kind of theme running through it mm. and um, they're just songs that you can pick up and play on your acoustic and play on the piano and, um, yeah, more traditional in that sense, I think. Yeah, yeah, oh, God, yeah, definitely. So those songs that are on that, did they, are they were they songs that you'd been sitting on for a little while or was there, were you, did you reach a point where you were like, let's make an EP, off we go? <laughs> like, how did they... Yeah, I really just wanted to write write an EP and yeah. I, there were loads of other songs I've written in, in the meantime, but these songs felt like 
I felt like they were part of a group and just I just really wanted to put something out and Elliot um, James who produced the sting he's like oh let's record let's just record and mm. let's release something uh, so we did the, the EP yeah. and yeah they seem to have gone down really well the title track's got I saw it it's got like a quarter of a million streams just on Spotify it seems to have gone down really well are you happy with how it's been received have you been have you enjoyed being back like putting music out yeah it's been it's been really cool that um you know people have stuck around and they still want to hear music and mm. to be able to go out and play I played a gig at St Pancras um like to the end of last year I was meant to play Oslo this year but that got cancelled because oh, yeah. of the coronavirus and just it which is really sad because i had some festivals lined up yeah. around europe and it's just a shame that they kind of have to be postponed yeah, i guess yeah. but it's given me that time i think to really sit and you know I've, I've written loads of new tunes and we're yeah in the process of recording them now and hopefully going to release another ep or album or whatever it might be well finally thank you so much again for chatting i was just going to say we, we said we'd um, make a donation to a charity of your choice do you want to um just just say who you've who you've selected <laughs> yeah um action against hunger um is a charity that i've selected and um particularly to go towards their um yemen fund yeah yeah amazing that would be that would be great yeah no bro. that's so lovely um that's that's really cool that you're doing that so oh no cool. no thank you Thanks so much to Gabriella for giving up her time. We've donated £50 to Action Against Hunger's Yemen Fund as a thank you. You can listen to all her brilliant stuff on streaming services now, including The Water, that excellent new EP, which I highly recommend. Uh, thanks for listening. You can get more entertainment goodness at electricangels.uk and on Twitter and Instagram at underscore electricangels. I'm on at Sean Kitchener. That's Sean spelled S-H-A-U-N. Thanks for listening. See you soon.